Revelation chapter 4. I've been preaching through the book of Revelation. I went through the first three chapters. And remember, Jesus Christ shows up to John on the Isle of Patmos. says, I want you to write these things I'm about to show you. But first, I want you to write these seven letters to the seven churches of, of Asia. So he writes these letters, and, and we read that, and we, I preached through that through chapter 3. And after that, we see in Revelation chapter 4, what's going to happen is John is going to get raptured up into heaven. And when he gets raptured up into heaven, this is why you think of the book of Revelation, all the horrible things that happen in the tribulation period. This is what this is all going to begin to show us. And the, the seven seals, the, seven, uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, all those things you've heard about uh, out of the book of Revelation, that's what we're about to get into. But I want to focus this morning on the rapture. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. And after this, I, that I would be John, the disciple of John. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I'll show thee things which must be Hereafter, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne, and he that sat, sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. Now, a jasper stone is yellowish brown. It's not transparent. It has a yellowish brown tint to it. And a sardine stone is like a deep red. It's like a deep red. And that's what, look, what the Lord looked like when he was sitting on the throne in color. When he looked up, he said, I look upon him like a jasper or a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. In sight like unto an emerald. Emerald, of course, of course, being green. If you look out at this world as you go out of the church this morning, look out at the world and, don't, and wonder to yourself if God's favorite color isn't green. Because everything is green. And he's sitting on a throne that's surrounded by a green rainbow. Going back up to chapter 2, into chapter 2, it says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, the throne was set in heaven, and one, one sat on the throne. The Bible says in De Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You say, well, I thought Jesus Christ was the Lord. I thought Jesus Christ was God. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. We have a triune God. The Bible calls him a Godhead. In other words, it's, it's God, and he manifests himself out in three different ways. But as he sits on a throne, it's one God, and we're going to read where Jesus Christ, as the Lamb, is going to proceed out of that throne and show up to John. But I want to go back up to verse 1. Go back up to chapter 4, verse 1. And after this, and behold, after, after this, I looked, and behold, a door. Heavenly Father, Lord, I come to you humbly in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray you bless this service, bless this uh, preaching. Father, I pray you hide me behind the cross. Lord, I pray, Father, you feed us. Like holy manna come down from heaven, Lord God, would you feed us this morning, Lord, please. Feed us, Lord, as we, as we come as sheep to your, to your fold, Lord God, to be fed. And Father, I do thank you, Lord, for your words. And Lord, I pray you help us understand these things. Lord, give us, a, give us hope, Lord, for your return. And Lord, we are looking up at the skies for you, Lord. Please come take us out of here. In Jesus Christ, holy name I pray. Amen. Notice that John says, as I looked up, I saw a door. If you've studied your Bible, notice as you read through your Bible, there's, there's times where the Bible talks about windows in heaven. There's windows in heaven. So in windows in heaven, we're like, let me give you an example, like when Noah and the ark, when the flood happened, it says in the Bible, when the, when the rains came at, at the time of the flood, that the windows of heaven was opened and rain came down. Now in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, it says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there might be meat 
in mine house and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. He says, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. All through the Bible you hear these windows mentioned, but they're mentioned in a sense where they're opened up in heaven and things are poured out to us through the windows of heaven. But I'm here to tell you there's only one door. There's only one door mentioned in the Bible. And that one door, Jesus Christ said, I am the door. I am the door. John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus Christ says, I am the door, but by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Praise the Lord. He's the only door into heaven. He's the only door. Jesus Christ went on to say, He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door, that's by Jesus Christ, into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. So a window's to look out of, a window's to pour stuff out of, but a window's not to come in and out of. The door's the one to come in and out of. All through the Bible you see windows, plural, mentioned out of heaven, but there's only one door. And John says, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. That's Jesus Christ opening up. If you're trying to get into heaven through any other way than Jesus Christ, you're like a thief trying to climb through a window. It's not going to work. It's what Jesus calls you. Jesus is the only way into heaven. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. John says, I looked up and I saw a door. That door would be Jesus Christ. It was open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither. That's the rapture. So, as most of us in here have heard of the rapture, and let me give it a real run, what the rapture is, the truth, uh, the belief of the rapture, you find it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, is simply this, that there's going to come a time where Jesus Christ is going to come. He's not going to come all the way down. He's going to come to the top of the clouds, to the air, and he's going to call out his church. And those that are dead in Christ, that their bodies are laying in that grave, they're going to rise out of that grave. And if we are alive, according to 1 Corinthians 15, we will be changed in the moment. A trickle of Our bodies will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, and together with those loved ones that have come out of the grave, now he brings their souls with them. Those souls go into the new bodies that are resurrected out of the grave, and then Jesus Christ says, come up hither, and we all go up to be with Jesus Christ forever in the air. That's the rapture. That's the rapture. That's talked about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians 15. It's not mentioned per se as the word rapture. When you read in your Bible, it's mentioned as come up hither, as a rising, as, as a gathering. That's how it's mentioned. It's not, we use the word rapture, a calling away. Just like the word trinity is not in the Bible, but it's mentioned as the Godhead. I think Brother Chad even mentioned that in his preaching. So we, most of us in here understand that there is a, what the rapture is, but what I want to preach on this morning is why is there a rapture? Why? Why? Is there a rapture? You must know what the why, to know why there is a rapture. You must understand what the tribulation is. You must understand what the tribulation is. Look at Revelation chapter six. Look at Revelation chapter six, verses sixteen and seventeen. Guys, we, to understand the rapture, to understand the rapture, you got to understand what the tribulation is. So I'm gonna draw a little timeline here. There's your timeline. So over here. Standing on this hill right here, I'm going to draw the cross. And next to the cross of Jesus Christ, I'm going to draw two other little crosses. Those two little crosses there represent the repentant thief, the unrepentant thief. Jesus Christ died, and for 2,000 years, we've been waiting for him to return. 
So there's going to come a time called, it's a seven-year period, at least it's a seven-year period. We call it the tribulation period. I'm going to write this down in here. So we believe, and I'm going to draw an arrow going straight up. We believe right there is when the rapture takes place. See that little arrow going up? That's the rapture. See that in Revelation chapter 6, verses, was it 16 and 17? See what that says? Let me read it to you. Just in case you're not, you don't have your Bible open, let me read it to you. And said, and said to the mountains, and these are the people in tribulation, but it said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that setteth on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb. That Lamb is Jesus Christ, the wrath of Jesus Christ. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Guys, what the tribulation is is God's wrath being poured out on mankind. Look at Revelation chapter 14. Turn to Revelation 14. And I'm going to preach through these verses, so I'll explain them better when, we, when I get to that, that week of preaching on it. But just kind of, I'm trying to show you the theme of the tribulation period. The theme of the tribulation period. Look at Revelation chapter 14, verse 19. <clears throat> Revelation, verse four, Revelation chapter 14, verse 19. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it, look, into the great winepress of the wrath of God. This tribulation period that I drew up on this board, that's the wrath of God being poured out on mankind. Look at chapter 15, verse 1. Just keep reading to chapter 15, verse 1. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues. And I will preach on this. For in them is filled up, look, the wrath of God. The wrath of God. Of God. Look at verse 7. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God who liveth forever and ever. That theme of that tribulation period is God's wrath being poured out on mankind. So when Jesus Christ comes back, look at Revelation 19, verse 15. When Jesus Christ comes back in Revelation 19, and I will preach all this and try to help you understand it. But I'm kind of showing you this this theme that's going through here, Revelation chapter 19, verse 15, talking about Jesus Christ, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he should rule them with the rod of iron. And look, he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. It's wrath, wrath, wrath. So for chapters 1 through 3, was the church, right? We, it's all focused on the church. What's interesting, when you get to Revelation chapter 6 through Revelation chapter 18 or 19, I'm going to go ahead and put 19, the church is not mentioned. Actually, it's 18, pardon me. From Revelation 6 to Revelation 18, church is not mentioned again. Where is the church? It's up in heaven. It's not mentioned on the earth. It's mentioned on the earth from Revelation 1 to Revelation 3. John, as a great type of the church, he's called out. And when John, as a great type of the church, is raptured out, he goes up into heaven, he sees the throne, he sees the cherubim, and we're going we're gonna to look at all that next, hopefully, Lord willing, next Sunday. We'll look at all that. But he looks at all things going up to heaven, and then Jesus comes out, he takes a book, he starts opening up the seven seals. That's the four horsemen. That's everything you've read about. And then the wrath of God... Revelation 6, Revelation 14, Revelation 15, Revelation 19. The wrath of God gets poured out on mankind. So, let me write this up here. 
It's very important to understand this, brothers and sisters. If you don't understand this, you're not going to understand why there must be a rapture. There must be a rapture because what's going on for seven years during this time is God's pouring out His wrath on mankind on this earth. John is a great type of the, of the church. He was the one that was called by God to write to the churches in Revelation 1-3. through 3. John, the beloved disciple, was the one that sat right next to Jesus Christ. Now, like when you see the picture of the Lord's Supper that Leonardo da Vinci painted, that's not an accurate picture of the way they were in the Middle Eastern. The way they ate is they would have this little small table. It might not be this tall. And they would lay on their sides. They had little pillows. And they would lean like this and they lay down and they would eat like this. So in the Bible it says that John was beloved of Jesus and that he sat at the breast of Jesus. So John... What, what, what John would do, John was laying like this. And he, he would, they'd be like laying kind of in, 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 at angles like that. So John was right here with Jesus. So when Peter says, hey, John, ask Jesus who's going to betray him. That's why Peter does that, because John has instant access to Jesus Christ at the table where he can literally lean over and ask Jesus, and Jesus could talk, say, say something to him, and nobody else can hear it. He's very close to Jesus Christ. Jesus, John is a great type of the church. Why is there a rapture? Why is there a rapture? Because God's pouring out his wrath in the tribulation period. Now let me help you to understand that. Turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, guys, you've got to understand this stuff or you're not, not going to get it. And you've got to understand who you are in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Who you are this morning in Jesus Christ i got some good news. You're a lot of things in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Amen. You're no longer that old wicked sinner. You're saved. You're not long, now you're not going to hell. You're going to heaven. Well, how does that happen? Well, that happens not by your own righteousness. Amen. You're not going to heaven because you're getting in because you've been a good man or a woman or been feeding the poor or going to church or tithing or doing any kind of other work you can think of. You're not going to heaven because any of those things. Why are we going to heaven? We're going to heaven because we put our faith in Jesus Christ and our belief in Jesus Christ gives us access to that righteousness that's found in Jesus Christ. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. That's without the works being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Why are you righteous? Because you put your faith in Jesus Christ. So in God's eyes, when he looks down, you know what he sees? He doesn't see Keegan Hall anymore. He sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. Because I put myself in Jesus Christ. So I'm not only in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is in me. So I'm a part of Jesus Christ. The Bible takes us even further in Ephesians and Galatians and says we're in the body of Christ. Do you realize that everybody in this room is part of the body of Christ? Not just a body of this church, body of Christ. Spiritually speaking, that's an amazing thing. That we're so righteous, we're so holy that he puts us in there. And we're all, How do we get in there? By the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood covers us and makes us righteous, and it's our faith. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. You're righteous, you're righteous. 
You're righteous in Jesus Christ. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath loved to glory, but not before God. If Abraham was right before God because he worked, then he could glory to man, but not to God. Now look at verse 3. For what saith the scripture? It's all about the Bible, amen. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. It wasn't Abraham's works. Abraham believed God, and God says, because you believe me, I'm going to make you, make you righteous. I'm trying to show you that everybody that's a born-again believer in this building this morning, or that's listening in, is righteous in Jesus Christ. Now, is that true when we leave this building and start sinning? We're all sinners, amen. But in God's eyes, we're righteous because we have Jesus Christ on us and in us. And this old body that's doing all that sin, what's he going to do with it? Well, he's going to put it in the grave so the worms can eat it. But this soul is righteous. This soul is sinless in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 4. Now to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace but of debt. In other words, God would owe you something if you tried to work for it. Look at verse 5. Very important. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Praise God. Because if I had to work to go to heaven, I'd go to hell like a bullet. There's no way I could do it. But praise God, he says, just put your faith, who believe, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just put your faith in Jesus Christ, and God will count you righteous. It's very important for you to understand that you are righteous this morning in Jesus Christ. Now, now that you understand that, and that you know that you're in the body of Christ, turn to Luke chapter 17. Turn to Luke 17. Now we'll show you why that's so important. So we establish that the tribulation period is the wrath of God, right? The wrath of God. It's over and over again in there. Look at Luke chapter 17, verse 26. Luke chapter 17, verse 26. While you're finding that, I'll finish off this little board right here. So we know according to Revelation chapter 19, Jesus Christ is going to come back. And then he's going to set up a millennial kingdom for a thousand years. That's Revelation 19. So from Revelation chapter 6, starting at verse 4, Revelation 4, from Revelation 6 to 19, you've got the wrath of God. It's just all wrath. God pouring his wrath on mankind. Here's something you need to know about the God. He's not going to pour his wrath out on the righteous. As a spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler alert, God's not going to pour his wrath out on the righteous, and I'm about to show it to you. But look at chapter, Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, verse 26. Turn there with me. Read this with me. This is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and this is what he has to say. And he's talking about the end times. At the end, when, er when everything's coming to an end, look what he says. And as it was in the days of Noah, that's the Greek way of saying Noah, of the flood, right? Of Genesis chapter 6, Noah of the flood. And as it was in the days of Noah, you know what the Bible says of what it was like in the days of Noah? Every imagination of the hearts of men were evil, only evil continually. That's what it said about men in the days of Noah. Does that sound like the day we're living in? Yeah. I ran into a lady at Goodwill and I was buying this DVD of Columbo. Y'all remember Columbo? 
I was buying his DVD at Columbo. She goes, I missed those old shows that were so clean. I said, amen, sister. She said, yeah, I miss those because now I turn on TV and it's all filth. I'm like, amen, sister. Always evil continually, everything in their imagination. That's the way it was in the days of Noah. In the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man when he comes back, Jesus Christ. How is that? Look at verse 27. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, just like what's going on today, until, until, underline it, until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Oh, that's interesting. Of all the stories Christ relates to the end times is he says, Noe. What was Noah like? Well, he was preaching. He was preaching it's going to rain. It's going to be, it had never rained until Noah's time. People forget that. It, the Bible says the ground was, the dew would come up on the ground and water the grass. It had never rained. And here's a man for 120 years building this big old ark out in the middle of the desert saying, it's going to be water from the sky. <laughs> Don't you know they were laughing at that old man? Look, crazy Noah and his kids building that big old ark. Look at that thing. It looks like a big old coffin. That's exactly what it looked like. And then he told somebody that God told him to do that and to make it look like that. And that God gave him the directions and, made, and designed that. Can you believe that crazy old man? Water come from the sky. And then one day God says, Noah, go get in the ark. Noah went and got in the ark. And the Bible says the Lord closed the ark behind Noah. And what did Jesus Christ say? And the day he did that, it started raining. Judge it came. And don't you know when that rain started coming and they started looking up and the water started rising and the windows of heaven were open and the, it says the great deeps broke open and water started coming up from the ground and it started getting really deep that they were beating on the side of that wall of that ark saying, let me in, let me in, let me in. It was too late. Judgment had came. But Noah had to get in the ark first. You see where Jesus was going with this? They were marrying. Everybody was happy. Everybody was giving in marriage. Hey, let's have this great feast. And when that day came, judgment came. When Noah was put in the ark. Keep reading. Keep reading with me. Look at verse 28. He's going he's to give you a double witness. A double witness. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it, but... The same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Wow. That's pretty crazy. What was Lot known for in Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, that's where we get the name Sodomy, which is where we get the, which was used to be before they changed it, the name for what we call the lifestyle that they pushed through every government agency in every newspaper and TV show in the world. It's called homosexuality lifestyle. That's what they pushed. That's what was in the days a lot. Are we living in those days? <laughs> Just me saying that could get me kicked off of Facebook and YouTube. And some of y'all probably are like, ooh, resisting it. Ooh, there's nothing wrong with that lifestyle. There's nothing wrong with that. Not according to my Bible, it's a sin. That's what my Bible says. Now, y'all might have a different Bible. You might have the, King, the, uh, the Queen James Bible version or something. Mine's a King James. Likewise, and you know there is a Queen James version. Some of y'all think I just made that up. I didn't. There is one. It's put out by the homosexuals. Likewise, also it was in the days of Lot. 
They were eating and they were drinking, and then the day, the soonest lot left, fire and brimstone judgment. You see where Jesus is going with this? Well, if you don't know yet, keep on reading with me. Verse 30, even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Somebody's going to be took out, and then the Son of Man is going to be revealed. Somebody is going to be took out. Somebody's going to be put safely. Somebody's going to be put somewhere safe when the wrath of God comes down, and then the Son of Man is revealed. Somebody's going to be put safe. Somebody, just like as the Son of Man is revealed. See that right there? Now let's keep on reading. In that day, verse 31, he which shall be on the, upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Hey, remember Lot's wife? She, she was going to escape, but she turned back and put her heart to the world, and she got turned into a pillar of salt. You got any family, loved ones, co-workers that they look like they might, come with, might go with you to church, they might go to Jesus Christ, they might get saved, but they keep turning and going back to the world? That's a type of Lot's wife. Verse 33, Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. That's talking about the mark of the beast during the tribulation period. I tell you, look at this in verse 34. What does this sound like to you? I tell you, in that night, therefore, shall be two men in one bed. The one shall be taken, the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken, the other left. Two men shall be in the field. The one shall be taken, the other left. Sounds a whole lot like a rapture, doesn't it? One standing there, one's took, the other one's left. One standing there, the other one's took, the other one's left. What did Jesus Christ just say? They said, in the night... There'll be two women in bed. Then it says there's two women grinding. And then verse 36, two men shall be in the field. The one should be taken, the other left. He knows about the day and the night. It's one day. So if you look at this globe right here, Jesus Christ is talking about something that we didn't understand until very recently, that it's daytime here and it's nighttime there. At nighttime, there'll be two men in the bed right there. And it's not talking about homosexuals, by the way. There's two men in the bed right there. One's taking, one's left. Then he goes on and says, there's two in grinding in here. That's, that event takes place at one time. At one time of the world, it's daytime. At another time of the world, it's nighttime. That's the creator of the universe talking right there. That's your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Man, you can't beat him. <laughs> they think they got Jesus figured out. You don't have Jesus figured out. He was saying that 2,000 years ago. You're just running behind the times. That's a rapture. Now turn to Genesis chapter 18. This is the truth, and I'll show you the truth. This is why there must be a rapture. Genesis chapter 18. This is why there must be a rapture. We know what the rapture is. I hope you do, and if you don't understand it much, get with me, and I'll try to explain it the best I can out of Scripture. But most of us in here kind of understand the concept of the rapture, but it's important for you to understand the why of the rapture. Why there must be a rapture. Why must we be raptured out? Because some people say, well, there won't be a rapture. And what you'll have some people teach is you'll teach that we get raptured out. It's called mid-trib. Mid-tribulation that the Lord raptures us out. And then you have some people that believe in a post-tribulation. And I'll get, when I'm preaching, I'll try to explain more of what that's all about. But the truth is, is that they got it wrong. You can't go through the tribulation period, brothers. Why? Because that's the wrath of God. And look at verse 8, look at chapter 18, look at verse 25, please. Why can't I go through the rapture? What if I want to go through the rapture? You can't, God's not going to allow it. 
And here's the great truth about our Lord God. And Abraham knows this, and Abraham calls God out on it. See, God, before he came to rain fire and brimstone down on Sodom and Gomorrah, the Lord and two angels came to Abraham. And Abraham recognized who they were, and he got his wife, and he said, hey, we need to fix something for him. And he got him, and he fixed something for him. And then when they were leaving out to go to Sodom and Gomorrah to check it out, the Lord stayed back and talked to Abraham. Abraham was arguing with the Lord, and he, this is what he says in verse 25. He says, that be far from thee to do after this manner. Look, well, look at verse 23. Let's get the context so you'll know what's going on here. Abraham drew near and said, Will thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Good question. So you're going to go down and destroy this country? What does Abraham know? Abraham knows that his nephew Lot is down in Sodom and Gomorrah. And so he's going to do everything he can to protect his nephew Lot. Because before, what happened was when Abraham and Lot were together, they got too big, and Abraham says, Okay, Lot, you look across this field. They got on a high mountain. He goes, You pick where you're going to go, and I'll go the opposite, but I'll let you choose. So Lot looked down at Sodom and Gomorrah and seen how green it was, seen how lush it was. He says, You know, I'll take that land right there. And Abraham says, God bless you. I'm going to go this way. So Lot went down in Sodom and Gomorrah, and he found out that the grass is not always greener on the other side. And he started living with all these wicked people. And the Bible says it grieved Lot in his heart to live in that world. Does it grieve your heart to live in the world we're living in? That's what Lot dealt with. Same thing. Does it, does it grieve you to see the, the wickedness going on? So whenever he, he says, are you going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? Verse 23. Look what Abraham says to the Lord. Verse 24. Peradventure, suppose, peradventure, suppose there be 50 righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? Verse 25, that be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. And the Lord, the Lord deals with him. He says, okay, if I can find ten, I won't, I won't destroy it. Well, he didn't find ten. And he destroyed it. But he did bring Lot out. Do you see what's going on here? God is not going to pour his wrath out on the righteous. That would be a wicked judge. Did I just show y'all earlier this morning that you're righteous in Jesus Christ? Did I not say and show you? I didn't show you the scripture, but there's scripture to show you that you're in Christ and Christ is in you. You're part of the body. That's Ephesians chapter 3. For God to pour his wrath out on you, if you were to stay here, it would be the same if he's pouring his wrath out again on Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is righteous and you're righteous in him. Look at Revelation, I mean, excuse me, Genesis chapter 19. Look at, just turn the page. So the story goes, the angels go down into Lot, they go down to Sodom and Gomorrah, they're talking to Lot. The homosexuals show up, they try to rape them, try to rape the angels, the angels blind them. So they go off. It was a big Mardi Gras parade, and they had to run. They break up the Mardi Gras parade. So whenever they got through blind, the angels got through blind them and said, "We got to go. We got to get you out of here." So look at Genesis. I mean, yeah, Genesis 19, verse 22. Turn to verse 22. So Lot's kind of tarrying around. Lot's kind of tarrying around. He doesn't want to leave. He's trying to get some other people to go with him, or maybe his heart's still in the world. Maybe his goods are still back in the world. But this is what they say to verse 20. This is what the angels tell him. Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou become thither. 
Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The angel says something very important that you need to understand. He says, I can't do nothing until you get out of here. God said, I'm not, pouring, I'm not dropping one drop of water out of the sky until Noah gets in the ark. Not, do you understand when you read Luke chapter 17, now what's going on, Luke, what Jesus Christ is implying, what he's saying is, there's somebody righteous like Noah, and when Noah was took out of the way, then judgment came. There was people that were righteous, Lot was righteous, and as soon as Lot was come out, Jesus Christ said, what happened? Then the fire rained down, then the judgment came. So what's going on with the tribulation period is God's going to pour his wrath out like he did in Sodom and Moore, like he did with the flood. He's going to pour his wrath out on mankind. And God's not going to do that as long as there's righteous here. And the only righteous here are those in Jesus Christ. The rapture must take place so God can pour his wrath out on mankind. This explains how there cannot be a mid-tribulation rapture with the saints. For us Christians, no way. That's why the rapture takes place here in John chapter, I mean Revelation chapter 4. The rapture takes place in Revelation chapter 4 because God calls John up because he's about to pour wrath out on mankind. God is not going to make you go through the tribulation period because you're righteous and his wrath is not going to be poured out on you. That's the truth. Now, are we going to suffer? Yes. Are we going to, or some of us in here might could die for Jesus Christ? Yes. That's a t suffering for Christ and suffering in this world has nothing to do with God's wrath. That's what man brought upon himself. But when God says, I'm going to pour my wrath down on him, on that man, on mankind, that's when the world ends. And God says, you know what? I can't, like Abraham said, I, you, can't, you can't judge the righteous with the wicked. You got to pull the righteous out. So he pulls the righteous out. He raptures out his church, his body, his body of believers. He raptures them out. And then you're going to see in Revelation here on out from Revelation, it's going to be God's wrath. It's going to be hell stones. It's going to be earthquakes. It's going to be blood from heaven. It's going to be darkness. It's going to be some of the, you're going to see, you're going to see basically zombies walking around. It's going to be some of the most wicked and unimaginable horror you've ever thought of in the tribulation period. And we're raptured out of here. Because it's God's wrath being poured out on mankind. Turn to 1 Thessalonians in closing. And I'm closing up, guys. 1 Thessalonians. We'll close in 1 Thessalonians. Read it with me. If you don't believe any of this, at least read this. I want you to, I want you to leave this morning praising Jesus Christ and thanking the Lord for Jesus Christ because He's getting you out of that. He's got you out of it. And you're waiting on Him, aren't you? I'm waiting on Jesus Christ. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'm waiting on Jesus Christ. I pray for Jesus Christ's return. I'm waiting for him. Because I know that God's about to pour his wrath out. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Look at verse 10. Are you waiting on him? And to wait for his son from heaven. That's what we're doing. Whom he raised from the dead. And he did. Even Jesus. Which, what did Jesus do? Which delivered us. From the wrath to come. Amen. He delivered us from the wrath to come. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, this same book, he wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he said, I don't want you to be scared. I don't want you to lose hope. Don't be ignorant of this stuff. Look at chapter 5. Same book, chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. 
First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. God, through Jesus Christ, has delivered you from the wrath. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, praise God, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to see the, you want to see the rapture? Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, and I'll close here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Here's the rapture. Here's the rapture of the church. That, I just gave you the why. The why he's going to rapture us is because we're righteous and he can't judge the righteous with the wicked. And here's the how. Here's the how of the rapture. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. They've passed on. That you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. We have hope in Jesus Christ. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. If you die today, your body's going to go in that grave, but your soul and spirit go up to be with the Lord God. Paul says, my departure's at hand. It's better to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. But your body goes in the ground. And that's why he says that Jesus will God bring with him. Bring all those loved ones. Look at verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Pre-event, go before. We're not going to go before those in the grave. we got a six-foot head start on them. What's he going to do? Verse 16, for the Lord himself should descend from heaven with a shout. What's that shout? Come up hither. Come up hither. And I believe you'll hear your name. With the shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. John says, there was a door open to heaven and I heard a voice like a trumpet. Come up hither. And John says, I was up in heaven and I seen God sitting on his throne. And we'll keep on reading later on in a couple weeks and we'll see all those things that John's seen. There'll be a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead and Christ shall rise first. Those, are, those bodies are laying in the grave. Then we which are alive and remain because we're changed shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. We'll never be away from the Lord again. And when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back in Revelation 19, I got that red arrow coming down. You know who comes down with him? We do. We come down with him. Like clouds, the army of heaven comes down and here we come. Brothers and sisters, there's going to be a time we're going to be up in heaven. It's going to be a glorious time. And in Revelation 19, it says there's going to be a great marriage of the Lamb. And we're going to have this great feast. And the Bible describes it as a feast. And we're going to be eating in heaven. And we're going to be celebrating. It's going to be joy unspeakable. We're going to be shouting. We're going to be cheering. And then we're going to look down. And we're going to see Jesus Christ, our Lord, say with that crown. And we're going to look. He's going to, have, he's going to have a crown of crowns on his head. And we're going to see him. He's going to have a robe. And he's going to say, Lord of lords and King of kings. And we'll see him. He's going to have a big old sword on. And we're going to see him mount up on a big old white horse. And then it's going to go through the crowd. It's going to be a rumbling through the crowd. Get ready. Mount up. Mount up. We're going back to take back what belongs to him. Mount up. And Jesus Christ is going to get us. We're going to get on some horses. And here we go. Back to claim back what belongs to Jesus Christ, this earth. And we're going to kick the devil out. We're going to put him and bind him for a thousand years. And we're going to rule with Jesus Christ on this earth. And he's going to rule this earth for a thousand years. The Bible says it's going to be such a joyful time that the lamb is going to lay down with the lion. 
The babies will go play on rattlesnakes' dens and nobody will care. It says little kids will lead bears by leashes. It's going to be a beautiful time of peace. But it's only found in Jesus Christ. It's only found in Jesus Christ. Do you believe everything you just said, Pastor? I believe every word I just said. And that's why I preach Jesus Christ. That's why I beg and plead people to receive Jesus Christ. Because it's the best thing going. And every word in there, every time I study that, it just becomes more real and realer and realer to me. And now, you know what? I got so many people I love up in heaven right now, and I can't wait to go. I can't wait. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray, Lord, if there's somebody in the sound of my voice that doesn't know Jesus Christ, as our Lord and Savior, Father, I pray as we give this invitation, oh, come on down, Lord God. Maybe we just need to get down on the altar, Lord God, and pray to you. I don't know what it might be, Lord, but you do. And, Lord, I know you're speaking to their heart, Father. And I do thank you for these people that love you, Lord. And as we come to you, Lord, and sing praises to you, Lord, I pray you honor that, Lord. And, uh, Father, I pray you're blessed by it. In Jesus Christ, holy name I pray. Amen. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3, verse 16, and most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on, on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it. And if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. The same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, 
And then with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13, he sums it up. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon him.